I'm going to have to start coming every other week. Oh, okay. But I want to listen. All right. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer and then we'll go from there. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Blessed Lord Jesus, we give thanks and praise to you for another blessed day that we can uh, take time to be in your house of worship via the Zoom and via the opportunity to study in person. We ask you to continue to bless us with your presence, with your wisdom, and with your understanding. Help us not to look at the magnitude of the things around us, but help us to see the magnificent and majestic work that you do, even behind the scenes and even when we don't see it. Help us to put our trust only in you to that and be present among us. Guide us, lead us, and direct us as the only true God in this world and in this universe. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, we are in chapter 4 of Daniel. Now, um, I chose, and you can follow along with your Bibles, but the translation is not going to be uh, identical because I use the translator's uh, wordings because of um, the way he translated, because sometimes he inserts words that are not actually... Um, in the, um, they're in the Hebrew, but they may not be in the English. So we'll, we'll just follow along with that. So um, it's a straightforward chapter. There isn't really a lot of hard things, but just kind of to highlight, and, and I should have written that when we talk about the law, okay, the law is what you need to do and what you don't do, okay? To do and don't. Those are the two requirements of the law. The gospel, what's been done. Okay? Uh, that's why we never talk about what I have to do to have God love me. Well, that's no longer gospel. So, the law is always do or don't. Love the Lord your God. Don't commit adultery. There's the do and the don't. And every uh, commandment. And secondly, the gospel, which is on the bottom uh, of that same page, the gospel, it's done. D-O-N-E. If you want to put exclamation after that, that will be good. And, um, yeah, you have it right on the, first, on the first page. On the top, you have law, and then you have the gospel, right? Go above. You see it right there? Yeah, what'd you say, done? Yep. D-O- I don't have it written, oh. but you can, you can write it. So oh. the law is due backslash oh, okay. don't. I didn't write those down. I should okay. have. I should have, actually. And, um, and ladies, since Monica is on the screen and I can't see her, and if you have a question, you'll have to speak up, okay, please? Because I'm reading from my text while I have you on the Zoom on the side, okay? So if there's a question, you don't understand something. So I wanted to highlight, remember that the law is what you have to do, and as well as uh, what you don't do, okay? All right. So uh, with that in mind, we start right away. This chapter is really uh, about who is God and who is not, okay? And so the first commandment is, you shall have no other gods before me. What does this mean? We should fear, trust, and we should fear love and trust in God above all things. And I highlighted the word trust as big emphasis because if you don't trust God, then he's really not your God. Okay, if you don't believe in God, you don't love him, you don't fear him, he's not your God. You have something else that occupies that light, uh, that Godhead. Okay, Um, this is kind of going backward and forward, and there's some things that we want to highlight. Now, do you guys know what's the difference between the first use, second use, and third use of the law? No. Michelle is thinking, so I'm going to give her an opportunity. So the first use is to be a guide. Okay. The second use is the mirror to okay. um, see yourself and see what needs to be right. Curb, yeah. So, um, so there are three. There are three ways to look at the law of God. The law can guide you. Okay, the law shows you that you always fall short. Uh, 
And the curb, if you can think of the sidewalks on the street, or the curb actually, before you get to the sidewalk, that's to keep you on the narrow way. So there's first use, second use, third use, to highlight the emphasis of these things. So in, vo- in 430, and I'm just gonna, uh, you, should get, you should have this and we're gonna go through it. Nebuchadnezzar ascribes power and majesty to himself. In other words, he replaces God with himself. So he's the God, he's the emperor, he's the powerhouse, he is the power company, he's all of that. He is the head honcho, but he, in essence, literally kicks God out of the picture, okay? God graciously gives Nebuchadnezzar a dream in an attempt to curb, okay? Another word, the idea is, and you talked about this earlier, um, St. Catherine, does God harden hearts? No, God never hardens heart, but he gives you the opportunity. But if you stay stupid, this is what I wrote in my notes, if you say stupid and do the stupid things or don't obey God, guess what? The time will come up to here. He's had it up to here. So, so God gives him the opportunity to curb, first use, the king's pride and arrogance, and to lead him, third use, to be more just and merciful ruler for his people and also move him to repentance and faith. Okay, so, so the idea is that this whole story that we are looking at today is intended for the sole purpose of causing Nebuchadnezzar to turn away from his wickedness. It's like what we have in Ezekiel chapter 33 and chapter 18. If you are to do these things, he wants us to turn away so that we might be saved. So, okay, so you go ahead and ask the saying, question. So what you're saying is, um, I just want to make sure I understand. God doesn't harden your heart, but he allows you to continue to reject yes. him. Where, where it, so then your heart becomes to, gets to the point where... There's no turning around. Is that right? Well, or... we never say there's no, there's no chance of ever turning around because with God, all things are possible. Okay. Okay. But what we would say, it is very difficult okay. to turn back from it. Okay. Once, once you have shut the light of the gospel on you, it's a very hard to come back. Okay, one of the big sphere right, right now we are having as pastors, not just in this congregation, uh, well, there's only one here, but in the district, but in the synod-wise, we are afraid 80% of the people that have not come to church are not going to come back. And this is a common study that we are finding, because once you have not been to church four or five weeks, that becomes the habit. Pastor Moeller always told us three Three Sundays, you're not here, you're gone. You, it's very, we are talking seriously because this is the biggest concern. We've had meeting after, we had meeting this past Thursday, we had meeting Friday, we have another meeting coming up. That's the number one concern. Will we get these people back? And all statistics, Gallup polls, anything that's out there, 80%, I'm not saying that not all are going to come back but 80% are not going to enter the church again. And so going back to the, the concern here, the Lord is giving the opportunity for this man. And we just, we will come in, when we come to, it, to the seven um, seasons there, but God gives him time to repent. God is slow to anger, we know that. But he gives you the opportunity to say, okay, how much time will you need? And we don't, we don't know that time. Okay. So, okay. okay. so uh, God reveals his judgment. In, did, did, he did harden Pharaoh's heart. Only, only after God had given him every, every opportunity. Okay. And you, okay, so the ten plagues were the ten opportunities for this man to turn around because he would say, yes, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to let them go. And once the plagues were over, oh, no, I'm not going to do it. It's like me and my diets. 
Yes, I'm gonna stick to it. I'm not gonna get involved with diets, but the point is this, though. The, the truth is this God is loving, God is gracious, God is merciful, and He's slow to anger. He never sets out to destroy anyone's life. Okay, now. Let me just kind of go off the side here to talk about the Reformed churches compared to us. We teach we are predestined to heaven. Calvin, which were the Reformed, Baptist, Methodist, all of those, follow along from that. They believe in double predestination. We believe in predestination. They believe in double predestination. Here's what uh, we talk about. Double predestination, God determined that people go to heaven. God determines that they go to hell, which is contrary to Scripture. This is where, this is why. Is that election? Well, no, election. election? No, no. Double. believe that God already, God already. Well, they can use that term, but. um, Okay. But we have been elected too. We have been chosen. You can say that terminology, but. Calvin specifically taught double predestination. Uh, Some are saved, some are meant to hell. Well, if you go with that theory, then yes, God will harden hearts. Well, with double predestination, when when you're already going to hell, you don't have a chance. Well, you don't have a chance because you never know. That's the other thing. You have no knowledge. You have no knowledge that you are going to heaven or hell. You have no comfort. And we'll get to this. Okay. Uh, we'll get to this because I highlight it in the next paragraph. Okay. We teach predestined, uh, yeah, predestined to go to heaven. God chose us to go to heaven. We are told that. I mean, that's why he sent his son. Okay. Now, before I go to the next paragraph, let me highlight one of the things. And I've shared it uh, before in my Bible study. And it is this. Well, I talked about the Reformed theology and why it is so uncomfortable and un, just doesn't give comfort or peace. Uh, my wife's uncle, his name is Eno. Uh, they called him Doc. That's another story. But 80-some uh, years old, every single day we would have lunch or supper or whatever. He would pray before we start. He would read the Bible. And then we would close after supper. Did that every time we were together. Because I had a lot of time that I would have lunch with him. So one day I was there having lunch with him. And he started reading the Bible. And he started weeping. Just crying. And I said, Uncle Doc, what's wrong? Video for me. I don't know if I want. Are you talking to me? You're talking to Gary. Well, I'm sorry. You can mute yourself if you want to do that. That is on the top part of your screen, or I can mute you, but I can't see you, so I can't mute you. But if you want to be muted, you can push the button. You can only listen, okay? But I can control that too. But at any rate, so he was reading the Bible, and he started bawling, crying, (coughs) crying. And I'm saying to him, Uncle Doc, what's wrong? Nothing. You finished reading. So I finished reading, we prayed, and I looked at him. Now tell me what is wrong. And he said, I don't know if I'm going to heaven. Eighty years old man. And reading the Bible uh, every... Well, but he comes from the Dutch, their form. That's where I come from. Like, that's not what I grew up, but that's my dad. I know. Like, my father-in-law left his father's home because his father told his, uh, his wife, you're going to hell. He told her because she wasn't predestined to go to heaven. That's double predestination. Why would he say that to her? Because why? Don't ask. I wasn't around, so I don't they know. they believe? That's what they believe. I don't know, but how he right. knew, I don't know. But Doc, I said, Doc, Jesus loved you. He sighed. Yeah, but I don't know. Can you envision living 80 years without no certainty. It's kind of like you or you or I being married to this lady or you guys married to a man. You live with him. You don't even know if he loves you. What kind of comfort is that? And so this is kind of why we do not teach double predestination. Because at first, it's not true. It's not biblical. 
God predestined us to be with him, that is a fact. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us. We know that in Colossians and Ephesians. We know that, but we do not teach predestination. That's the big difference between us and Calvin and the Reformed people. As we teach predestination, God predestined us all to go to heaven, but he never predestined anyone to go to hell. If you go to hell, that's your own choice. This is why we talked about the hardening of the heart. Well, it, con- it conflicts with, with Scripture. That's exactly right. Because God says God desires the hearts. We're going to be doing that very soon. Okay. Say that again. I couldn't hear you. Is that John Calvin? Is that his yeah. name, John Calvin? Yep. He was at about the same time as Martin Luther. Exactly. Yep, with, with Swingley, with Swingley, yep. They were about the same time, yep. But they taught, and it's a terrible comfort. That's why they don't believe in the sacraments, because, you know, those are... Oh, yeah, of course. They don't believe in the Lord's Supper. They don't believe in baptism. They don't believe in the means of grace, which is the word in the sacraments. Okay, now... The whole idea, getting to this here, God desires Nebuchadnezzar to turn away or repent and seek forgiveness. And I put 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. And I want you to go to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, okay? And I'm going to read... Um, um, one through four, but specifically the key is verse four. The key is verse four, okay? I'll give you a chance to get there. I already have it highlighted. You have it highlighted? Good. Are you there, Alicia? All right. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Now notice this comforting verse. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God never desires anyone goes to hell. That is unbiblical. That is not taught in the scripture. We will not accept the theology of Calvin or the Reformed people in that regard. Um, so who, who, is, who all is Reformed? Gosh, Baptist, Assemblies of God. Um, there's a lot. Me- Method, Methodists, Methodist? Presbyterians. What about evangelical free? They probably is a branch of baptism. Yeah, there's a lot of churches. You know, you either have Catholic, Lutherans, and just all the others kind of. But it, it, it varies degree to degree, you know. Okay, uh, and seek forgiveness from the only true God. This is the fourth commandment to put authority over everything. Authority in this world established by God alone. Daniel reveals the truth that all rulers are accountable to God. You know, this is what our nation, I had lunch today with someone, we were talking about Main Street, Main Street Living and the ministry we are going to do and expand it. And one of the things I shared with uh, this gentleman, I said, uh, you know, all of our politicians, they think they are getting away with murder, okay? Um, all of the election, all of the stuff, all of the lying. I said, my father-in-law used to say the statement, you can fool me, you can fool yourself, but you can't fool God. Ultimately, you're going to stand before God. Our Supreme Court, wishy-washy, other courts, wishy-washy, but there is a judgment court, and there is, a, there is no excuses. Okay? So... Um, just as God humbles Nebuchadnezzar, he can humble any human authority who fails to acknowledge that God has granted their authority. Second, Daniel's readers are to respect all human authority and that rebellion against lawful authority 
is rebellion against God. And we're going to look at Romans uh, 13 because that's where God gives the authority for... No one is placed in authority except by God's permission. Even Hitler, even if we don't like him, uh, we're still... God allows those things to happen. And, And you notice... The first thing we addressed with uh, Nebuchadnezzar, it's first commandment, and now we're talking about fourth commandment, those in authority. And when you look at it in the catechism, authority is anyone who's above you that God has placed. It could be your parents, it could be your pastor, it could be the police, it could be the teachers, whoever that is. But let's take a look at Romans chapter 13, Romans 13. Here we go. Um, I'll wait till uh, what's her name is there. All right. Um, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain." For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pray to all what is owed to them. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Okay? Now, this is hard to swallow, but we have to obey what God has placed over us. Okay? And the biggest thing that we can do for our nation or anybody in authority over us is to pray for them that God would enlighten them to see the damage they are doing and to see the good that they are doing. And the only time we go against any kind of authority is if they tell us to sin. Okay? An example. If the um, new administration, Biden, will say, all the churches have to have... um, they have to start allowing homosexual to be married in the churches. I will not honor that request. You can put me in jail. You can kill me. I'm not doing that. We're not doing that, okay? Or to say, you need to start giving uh, the women in the church, if you're ch- you have to give women in the church contraceptive pills to practice or pass condoms. That has already been tried. And there were some nuns that had some places, they were not gonna do that. So that was mandated, but that went to the Supreme Court and that was stopped. But those are just a couple of examples that you can say, when it comes to contrary to the word of God, we say no, but those are in authority. Nero was in authority and Paul had to obey him and so did Peter. He was a madman. Yeah. We just got done studying about him, and I was like, oh my word, he persecuted Christians. He was so mean to them, and they kept on going into basements, and all they were doing was praying, praying, praying yep. that somebody good would come into authority. And then the best Christian leader came in right after Nero. Yeah. I'm like, wow. God. <laughs> because Nero was, in, was, was, was the ruler, even though... He was the ruler in the country of Rome. He, he was the authority no of... No matter how evil and how... Nope. He was a madman. He, just he no was... He looked at him the wrong way. He was... He was and, we, and they couldn't defy him. No. No. And they didn't. No, they did not. Paul or um, uh, Peter, both were in Rome, and none of them defied him. 
actually Peter committed to the will of Nero to be crucified upside down. Yeah, I know that. So, no. But... I thought he did that because... Well, he, no, he, he, I mean, they were going to crucify him. But he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified. Okay, crucify me upside down. So he did, he did right? do that. He did, this, yeah. Uh, yeah, he did do that. So, but the only time, the only time we are given the mandate from God, this is the difference between first and fourth commandment, because that's why I highlighted right away in this chapter so that we can see the clear distinction. First commandment, God is the authority supreme over all things. Fourth commandment is authority over us, okay? But God established that authority, okay? But the only time we go contradictory to this, um, the request, is when the government say we have to go contrary to the will of God. That's the only time I will defy the government, even at the cost of my life, shutting the church down or putting me in prison. That's the only time I can go against them is if they are doing it against God's word. And that's true then for even for government employees. For any. I mean, like the, the people when gays started, when that started in five years ago, or five and a half years ago, and, and people said, I will not marry. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been asked that question. I said no. Well, even employees county employee, you know. Well, said, yeah, but um, well, we had a lady, and I'm not sure, was it Pennsylvania somewhere? She says, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I can't do it. You, you can kill me, but I cannot do it. I will well, not they go. they did. They fired her. Well, I know. Her, yeah. And we will be persecuted for the yeah, sake of okay. the kingdom. So anyway, I wanted to highlight to make sure you understand the difference between first commandment and fourth commandment. If we get that concept, what does this mean? You know, we have God. He is the supreme ruler over all things. There's no one higher than him. And that's why he's a jealous God. He will not let anybody take his place. Okay. But most of these evil rulers don't, don't, they don't realize God gave them. It doesn't make a difference. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility as a citizen is to stand out in this dark world and to be a light. That's my role. God does not say, love her because she's good looking or love her because she is in high authority. Hate her because she's wicked. He doesn't say that. He says, love your enemy as yourself. And that's the hardest things for us to do. Because it's easy to love somebody that loves you. But somebody that beat the craps out of you says, get out of my way. Okay? Physically, mentally, or socially. Okay. While God's law is effective in producing civil righteousness, Nebuchadnezzar curbs his pride and arrogance and admits that God is God and has ultimate authority. He does not seek from God the forgiveness of sin. That's very big, really. He does not seek from God the forgiveness of sins, nor does he turn from his lustful pride and arrogance. There is an immense chasm between admitting and acknowledging God's ultimate power and trusting and believing in God's forgiveness and salvation. Nebuchadnezzar stubbornly clings to his gods and does not abandon his idolatry. He does not seem to acknowledge God as his savior. I bolded that. I think I did it in your, on yours, okay? From sin and its consequences of death and hell. Daniel's readers are... Um, reminded how difficult it is for a pagan Gentile to turn in saving faith to the true God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And with that, let's look at Titus. Well, okay, so he didn't even realize he was sinful, did he? You mean, why would he even realize that? That's what I'm saying. How could he, why would he seek forgiveness when he doesn't even realize he's sinful. We'll get into that more when we get to the questions. Okay. Uh, Titus 2.13. 
Remember, if you, if you were here last Sunday, I talked about G-E-P-C and the five poles. You weren't here, were you? Okay. So, G-E-P-C, General Electric Power Company, okay, and the five poles, um, the five lines, electric poles. So, G-E, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, G-E-P-C. So, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And then you have the five um, electric poles. Then you have First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, and then you have Titus. That just to help you how to get to the books of the Bible uh, so that you know what they are at. So, in... Uh, in Titus 2.13, we have these words. Um, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Our hope is not going to be found in this world. You'll never find it. Uh, I just sent a, a text. I think you guys all received it. Um, don't let the elephant, don't let the donkey, but focus on the lamb. And then with it, I put um, a scripture that states, uh, behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, right? John 1, uh, 29. Uh, you should have it on your uh, phone too, Michelle. You are part of the. Um, I don't think I did, but that's okay. You got it because I sent it to you. Anyway, it doesn't you make. I sent it to my group. No, I sent it to a lot of groups from oh, the church. Well, I, was, well, I didn't have a lot of time, but I was going to send it to every member that I had on my list. Okay. But it is. Um, if you I don't get it. it, if you don't get it, let me know and I'll send it back to you. But here's the one thing that I really want to highlight. Waiting for our blessed hope. There is something that awaiting us is the day we're going to be with Jesus. That's the greatest uh, uh, fulfilling day in the whole wide world. This is why I was talking to somebody just recently about coming to the church as well. Uh, I'm scared to come to the church. He says, what are you scared of? Well, I'm not scared of dying, but I'm scared of Corona. So what's the worst thing that could happen to you? I get corona. I says, really? I don't think that's the worst. What's the worst thing? Or oh, maybe death. Well, so what? The death is the best thing that could ever happen to you. Well, they did change their mind. They, they, they did come to church, which uh, that was a pleasant surprise. But what are we afraid of? That's the question we need to ask. And here we see the hope of the glory that awaits us. You know, when I had my open heart eight years ago, hey, tomorrow, no, three more, four more days, the 16th, I had my open heart eight years ago. I kissed my wife and I said, uh, before I had the doctors start cutting my chest up, I said, Lord, if I make it, uh, I'll have uh, breakfast with Gene. If I don't, I'll have breakfast with Jesus. I can't lose. I'm a winner on either side. And, you know, I told my wife, if I don't make it, God will take care of you. I'm not concerned. But because I have the hope of the glory that awaits the believer. And that's the, that's the joy for me. Because even if I die, it's the greatest day of my life. My wife and the kids and all of the people that knew me are going to be mourning because it's a sad episode. But for me, it's glory land. I'm coming home. And that's the great joy that we have as such. All right. The gospel. God's severe law is not without the clear and crisp gospel. If you want to underline, that's a very good line. We see this in God's gracious dealings with Nebuchadnezzar. He does not, even though he rightfully could judge and destroy the Babylonian king for his arrogance, and we're going to take a moment to look at Acts, God first reveals a warning of what will happen if he does not repent. God uses Daniel to voice his invitation call to believe and be saved from the punishment and to receive salvation freely by grace alone. When Nebuchadnezzar admits his arrogance and glorifies God. 
God graciously restores him to his throne. Let's look at Acts chapter 12, beginning with verse 21. Acts 12. Okay. 21 through, let's see, what did I say? Bless you, bless you. Uh, 21 through 23. So, um, I'll go to 20 just to kind of give you a little bit uh, helpful suggestion there. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God, and not of a, excuse me, of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Uh, this is a terrible thing when you try to elevate yourself above God. And so God determines. You try to take his place, you are doomed. This is kind of why we talked about first commandment right away. I brought that up immediately. It's a first commandment chapter who is in charge of all of these things. So the people, this people claimed him God. Right, but. But he did not. What's, what's the fault? He did not deny it then. That's well, not so much deny it. He did, not he did not say give the glory God. to God. Okay. I mean, on many given Sundays, people come out to say, Pastor, that was a wonderful sermon. I've heard that many times. And that's why you say, to God be the glory. To God be the glory, because God... No, 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 no. No, 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 no. I've learned what to say to him. No, no, no. But the point is, I couldn't do it without God's help. That's my point. You can plan all you want to, but unless God gives the voice, you know... It's God's doing this. I'm not doing it. That's the same. Um, Sunday school teachers to us telling Michelle, <clears throat> she, she, um, Annabelle, on the way to church, she had asked me, there's three people she named. She said, why do Pastor and Michelle and Mrs. Jones know so much about God? I said, oh, that's such a good question. Um, they know so much because they have spent a lot of time in their relationship praying and reading their Bible. Um, so they've learned a lot about it, you know. And then, um, so we came here for Sunday school, <clears throat> and they talked about um, Hebrews was the verse. And um, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. Mm -hmm. And they talked about that. And then um, the next morning, we're having breakfast, and Annabelle said, Mommy, I had a bad dream last night, but I said, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. Oh. Uh -huh. I, text, I text Jared, I said, I don't have Allison's number, which I do now. But I said, I wanted to pass this on to you. And he says, that this is perfect timing. We're just talking about we don't know if we're reaching them. I'm like, yeah, God. Yeah, God. Well, this is, you know, um, I, I, called, I called one of my professors probably end of November, 1st of December. And I told them, I said, you know, I was reading the scriptures today, and it reminded me of a sermon you preached 25 years ago. <laughs> he was almost in tears, and he says, Nabil, I've heard of people remembering a sermon, or I've remembered a sermon, but 25 years ago. I said, I remember where I was sitting, I remember what you said in the story, 
And I have heard that from people that come to me and say, I still remember your sermon that you preached on that specific day, I'm thinking. (laughs) But that's how God works. So, with this in mind, the biggest problem with Herod, he never said, I am not God, give the glory to God. That's the biggest problem with Herod. Because God is a jealous God. And anything that gets in the way of God, that's an idolatry. Okay? Um, All right. The chapter breakdown, I'm not going to go through that. You can do this. The timeline of the chapter, I think, is very helpful. And you realize from the Old Testament, we're going backward in time. We're not going up, right? So we're going down to get to the zero, the birth of the Savior. Then we start going up the opposite way. Anodonomy, we talked about it. There is no chronological information for Daniel 4. The only information we are given in his dream happens when Nebuchadnezzar was at home at ease and flourishing. This is 4.4. Twelve months later, he is stuck with insanity when he did not occupy the throne. So God gave him a full year, a time to repent. Nebuchadnezzar's military campaign appear to end around 573 and with his death in 562. The events of chapter 4, they are somewhere between 573 to 569. Interestingly, 568 and 567, there is suddenly a rebellion in Egypt. It is thought the rebellion was encouraged by Nebuchadnezzar's return to power. Yes. This is really important as far as the major emphasis. A letter by Nebuchadnezzar with material inserted by Daniel that explains the period of the king's insanity. God reveals his ultimate power over Babylon and its ruler. And furthermore, God takes action to reform the ruler. And I put, I want you to compare Psalm 2. And I think that is very helpful if we take a moment and look at the Psalter, Psalm 2. Okay? And this is really helpful. Um, And the title of this psalm, The Reign of the Lord's Anointed. Okay? So... Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And I love the next portion. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is a warning to any person that puts their hope and trust in people and think they're going to deliver them, or the kings that think they sit above everybody and they have the authority over all things. Just because you have money does not mean you own the world. There is a God you'll have to answer to. It's very helpful for us to realize how All of this fits together. God will not give his glory to another person. Never. God will challenge and ultimately will give his wrath against the nations who rebuke him or turn away from him. They'll have to answer to God. So...
All right. Um, only example in Daniel of God dealing graciously with a Gentile in order to reform him. I think that's a very important verse. We see, because um, Nebuchadnezzar is not uh, from Jewish background. Okay, He's a Gentile, meaning a heathen, uh, goyim in Hebrew. Uh, and so you have that aspect. But what we see here is what I highlighted in 1 Timothy 2.4. God desires all men to be saved. Okay. And uh, we'll, we'll read the next point, but then I want to take you to Genesis chapter 12 and highlight that the gospel was not only to the Jewish people, but for all people. Okay? So, let me read the next point, and then we're going to go to Genesis. God's gracious provision for his Old Testament people as they await the establishment of his kingdom in Christ. So God's grace, grace is constantly coming towards his people. He never withholds his grace. There will never be a time where God stops loving you. There's never going to be a time where God's going to stop loving you or caring for you. Never, ever, ever. With that, let's go to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. Okay, so let's go to Genesis, um, and I want you to understand the magnitude of God's grace revealed to us in Scripture. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and following. We'll, we'll just focus only on the three, and there are seven promises here, okay? Now the Lord said to Avram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And notice this, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the gospel is not only to the Jewish people, but all the families of the earth will be part and recipients of the gospel. And we see this, this is the first book, we see this in the final book, of Revelation chapter 7, where uh, the people from all over, from every language, from every tribe, from every country, all people under the, the throne of grace, all are worshiping God Almighty. And so it is very important to see that as well as what God is doing for us in his gracious will. And then I want to read to you... Um, I want you, I want to invite you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Okay. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 7, beginning with verse 6. Okay. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people, a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of Pharaoh, of slavery, uh, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. 
He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall say, therefore, be careful to do the commandment and the statutes uh, and the rules that I command you today. So, we do know that God chose the Israelites for a reason. But why did he choose them? Not because they were special, but so that they can be a light to the nations. Ultimately, the choosing of the Israelites and what God had delivered for them is to make them the bright light for the nation. Okay? Questions or comment or thoughts will uh, stop right here. Ladies, give you an opportunity to speak if you have a question or comment or thought. But it was because the Lord loved you yep. and kept the oath. The oath. The oath that he swore to your forefathers. Right. Okay. So, but the choosing of them was specifically so that they can be a light for the world. You got your hand, Monica, up. What's your question? Um, am I supposed to have read the book of Daniel? I didn't read it. No, because we will, if you want to, we already, I mean, you're jumping in right now. We are on chapter four, but if you want to catch up with us, it wouldn't hurt to read you. It's only 12 chapters, so it's not very long. Okay, so, okay, got it. So you've already done one through three. Oh yeah, I would not have started in chapter four. We've been meeting, what, three months? Give Give or take. Okay, got it. Okay. And uh, we do have... Monica, for your own benefit, we do have most of the Bible studies on podcasts that you can listen to. And I can send you all the um, paperwork if you want to follow along. But we, you can talk to Michelle. She can kind of guide you how to do that. Okay, thank you. You bet. I'm glad to see your hand up there since I don't, I don't have your face up there. So, All right. Any questions to the ladies before we call it a night? Okay, let's close. Go ahead. Wait, on, on the very first page there after first commandment, you have WDTM and a question mark? Yes. What does it mean? That's a, what does this mean? That's W. Uh, if you take a catechism booklet, they will have that WDTM. What does this mean? I just abbreviate okay. that. I just abbreviated it. Okay. Rather than writing what does this mean, I just put it WDTM. That's all it meant. Just okay. Just an abbreviation. Very good uh, question. I wondered if somebody was going to ask me about that actually. So yeah. All right. Let's close with the word of prayer. Holy Father, gracious God, we give thanks and praise to you again for the privilege and the opportunity to be here with us. Uh, Bless us in all we do, especially as we dig deeper now into the um, opportunity to study in the book of Daniel. And keep us safe as we go our separate ways, uh, be our our nation as we continue to live in a very volatile and tumultuous time. And we pray for wisdom and discernment in how we should serve uh, those who have been placed over us. To that end, be with us, guide us, direct us, and protect us from every harm and evil. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, ladies, I don't know if you remember, uh, heard me earlier saying, we will not have it on Tuesday because I'm going to be having a procedure done on Monday, and I don't think I will be back to part to be coming back on Tuesday. So we will not have a meeting next uh, Tuesday. Thank you. I will be here for Sunday Bible study along with... Um, the first Peter, the epistle of hope. All right. God be with you all. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye.